Bienvenidos and welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda here for you, as always. Um, <coughs> I'm going to try to pace my speaking in this episode because I just learned that post-COVID, um, <coughs> the virus left me with a little bit of bronchitis. And so I am not quite able to talk as much as I usually do without running out of breath, which is awesome in this episode because... Uh, we have a guest who is much more interesting to listen to than I am, so I'm going to pretty much just throw up questions and let it be. Um, and let's get into our guest. Our guest um, covers women's college basketball and the WNBA for The Athletic. Um, she's the co-author of Hail Mary, The Rise and Fall of the National Women's Football League. She wrote that with Brittany De La Creta. Also, and I don't even think our guest knows this, our guest, who has appeared on the show once before, is far and away the most popular guest in terms of listens by miles than we have really? ever had on the show. Yeah, I don't want to give the full number. I don't want to give the full numbers because I don't know, like there's a, a bit of Protestant shame or something in me. But when you appeared on the last time you were on the show, our listeners they had four thousand percent more listeners than we ever have had in any other episode. It's very sad. If you look at the chart of our of our audience over time, it's like a redwood tree like in the middle of a plane. There's just all this like nothing and then this giant spike and then all this nothing. So the people we have to give the people what they want and what the people clearly want, Lindsay the Archangel, Lindsay, thank you so much for being with us. I really feel like I should be thanking you for having me on here because you are more popular than anyone ever affiliated with the show. How are you doing? That is so funny to hear. Um, I'm doing really great. Gosh, talk about a little, you know, Friday pick me up. Right. That's pretty cool. Ca- carry some of that into your weekend if you need it. Yeah. Um, so when Lindsay was last here, I think Hail Mary was about to come out or had just come out. Um how have you felt about um, that whole project now that it was done and you can look back on it a bit and reception from people? How did that whole experience go for you? Um, it was great. I It was well-received um, by by readers, whether critics or otherwise. Um, you know, the, the comment we were told most often was, you know, I had no idea this league existed. And that was our goal in in writing the book initially is we wanted to get the word out. We wanted to let people know that this league and these women existed. And right now our, our goal going forward is to continue just to, to put the book out there um, and, and see what kind of side projects may develop from that. Such, you know, we've had inquiries for possible documentaries or, or TV series or movie script, whatever. Um, that's all being talked about currently, but also one of our other goals is to get these women uh, recognized in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and uh, nice. that's something we're just currently trying to connect with some people on and work towards that because we feel they deserve it. Are you able at this point to characterize what kind of response you've gotten pursuing that, or is it still too early? It's still a little early, but in my initial conversations with some, someone from the NFL who connected me to someone in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they've been very positive and encouraging. Okay, excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll keep our eye out for possible 
side project or maybe uh, film or televised events related to Hail Mary. Do you have any ideas yet in the works for another book that you might be working on? You know, people ask me all that, that all the time. And um, I don't know. I want to write, I would love to do another nonfiction sports book of some kind. I think, I think that's something that I'm really passionate about. It's just taking what I do on a daily basis and it's just expanding it to, Mm -hmm. you know, long form, extremely Mm -hmm. long form. But um, so it's something I, I don't see as like, Oh no, I'm never going to do that again. I definitely would love to. It's, it's a matter of finding the subject and the topic that I'm just as passionate about and and really Mm want to throw myself into that whole process again. And I do have some, some ideas in the works and some things I need to connect with some people on. So we'll see. Did you learn a lot about the W the NWFL and then feel inspired to write about it? Or did you kind of find the the story? Like how did that spark for you? Cause it's, it sounds like a league that a lot of people haven't heard of. Was it your curiosity that led you to learn about it? Or did you learn about it and then decide this is a story that people need to know? Yeah, I'm a huge football fan. I have been my whole life. I love to play it and I love to watch it and talk about it. But I, even being as a rabid football fan as I was, I had no idea this league existed. When um, my co-writer and I decided to embark on this project, initially it was about women's football in general, uh, women in football in general, excuse me. And so we wanted to do like a whole book about just how women have been a part of the sport since its inception and how that played out. And, and initially it was just too broad. And my co-writer stumbled onto this league uh, in the middle of some research for another article and said, this is it. This is the focus I think we need to have is this league in particular. And so then we just dove in and the more you researched it and the more we discovered you know, these, these amazing women who, who played, played in this league and their backstories. It was like, we couldn't get enough of it. Well, excellent. Um, okay. Well, let's go from the NWFL to the NFL. Um, I'm sorry. We'll go to the NFL at the end. I want to ask you first. Um, sorry. I saw a little brain fog going on. I wanted to open by asking you some WNBA stuff. Um, and I am uh, the Unabashed Liberty fan on this podcast, so um, I wanted to ask you first, um, in light of the, the John Quill Jones trade um, and the continuing talk about, you know, the, the Liberty actually, they sent out more money than they took back, so they have ample cap space. There's all this talk, obviously, about Brianna Stewart, who once again today gave us a kind of Lucky Charms emoji hieroglyphs. Today it was a police car light and then a purple smiling <laughs> devil. There was an iced tea. There was sushi in there. There was a recycling logo. I don't know what to make of it, but I'm very excited. There's been a lot of talk about the Liberty pursuing Brianna Stewart. She grew up in Syracuse. Um, and John Kell Jones fits stylistically. She's a big who can do a lot of damage from the perimeter. You can fit Stewart in. Do you have any feeling or vibe or connections giving you any sense on how this Brianna Stewart story might play out, where she might end up? Yeah, I think right now Stewie's just having some fun. I think she's just <laughs> tweeting out random she things. She's going to be having fun. <laughs> putting it out there and just keeping it as a topic of conversation, which is fun. It's fun for her. It's fun for other players. It's fun for fans. It's just it's fun all around. But, mm-hmm. you know, I love JJ in New York. 
um, trade. I love that New York has not had just a really flexible big in the way she is, who can shoot from the outside, shoot from the inside. I mean, she's, she's really a stretch for a player. Um, and just to have that when they haven't had a player inside like that in a long time, um, it's just, especially of her caliber is mm-hmm. just, it's great. It's great for the city. It's great for the team. It's great for Sabrina <laughs> and Eskew, who, um, who I think you need to put these types of players around. If you want her to take the, her game to the next level and really develop that, uh, the Liberty into a, a championship contender, that that's what needs to happen. And then you have the possible rumors of Stewie possibly going there. Even um, there's been rumors of uh, Courtney Vandersloot heading over to New York. And I think, you know, either or could work both ways in, in different ways. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it's salary cap is, you know, it's especially in the WNBA, it's, it's a difficult animal to, to contend with. And, you know, it just, it's going to impact a lot, you know, a, a lot of how these free agency moves unfold. So we'll kind of see what goes from here, but this is just an example of just how much more fun free agency is now um, since the, the 2020 uh, CBA was enacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great for the, I think Stewart's playfulness, whatever she's getting at, I think is really good for the league. Um, it gives you something fun to talk about. If the Liberty were to sign Stewart and they have now Jones and Stewart and Ionescu, is that foundation enough to be a title contender they obviously oh, have would, other pieces around them, but would you I say, would yeah, think you so. think? Yes, yeah. I would think so. I mean, that's a three-headed monster right there. There's a reason that, you know, the big three term has been thrown around. You know, you have a big three is, is basically like a core of a team that um, is just all, all three all-stars who, who can just really take your team to another level. And then you fill that in with a, a supporting cast. Um, that could help out and, and know their roles when needed. Uh, you know, that's just, that's a dream team. That's a dream core to have right there. Yeah. And I think one reason that fans could be more excited about, because sometimes big threes go together and for whatever reason, it doesn't click. Yeah. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. You have to have the chemistry. Advantage here in this case is that um, Jones and Stewart were teammates um, in Russia. Uh, the mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Ekaterinburg. Um, they were on a team with Brittany Griner and Allie Quigley and Courtney Vandersloot. So they already have some experience playing together. They have some experience winning together. I think that would make it even more of a nice move for the Liberty. Um, They're also incredibly good friends. Um, are they? Which, yes, which tra- which also translates, you know, you have that type of friendship off the court that translates onto the court as well. And I'm sure they've discussed, I'm sure they've had side, side conversations already. About, Entirely you know, possible hooking yeah, up yeah, somewhere yeah. and um i think if they if the liberty gets stewie i'm not sure they could bring in Slute as well i just don't know how that's possible i haven't really looked or crunched the numbers but it just seems like it might be out of the realm of possibility yeah well i don't want people to think that i think the liberty are the only team in the WNBA. so i want to ask you a question about dallas um who was another part of this trade um Dallas has been interesting the last couple of years. Before 2020, Skyler Diggins-Smith is a wing. She wants out. She gets traded. The next year, the Wings trade Katie Lou Samuelson for the number one pick in the same draft where they have the number two pick. 
Um, there are now rumors that Alicia Gray, who was their top pick in 2017, wants out. Is there something just rotten in the state of Dallas? Like, I don't hear most WMA teams sounding like players want to get away from them, but this is a bit strange. Is there any? I don't think it's like an organ. Yeah, I don't think it's an organizational failure type of thing. I think what you have is a team that's gone through different coaches in the past few years, and we come in with a different coach and a different system and a different staff. You almost have to start from scratch. Well, you do have to start from scratch every single time that that happens. And, and Coach A may have had a different rotation than than the new coach, and then after the new coach, you know, and the other coach comes in, like they have a different lineup in mind, and then. You know, the thing that Dallas does have going for them is they have a roster full of talent. It's just a matter of how do you use that? How do you combine that together? How do you figure out a solid rotation that's going to work and make sense? I mean, they have a lot of bigs right now, but they haven't really gotten much out of their bigs, you know. And then they have, a, you know, a, a bunch of players who could who play in the backcourt. And I think it's just a matter of just really zeroing in on on, on – and utilizing the talent they have and then, and then seeing, I mean, obviously that, you know, things are going to have to shift and change when they put their roster together before the start of the season, they just really have to figure that out before the season starts. Because a lot of the times like, um, Vicki Johnson was, you could tell during the season was throwing in, was trying different rotations and just nothing ever seemed to really, click mm-hmm. until towards the end of the season when, when um, Tierra McCowan came alive and started getting more minutes. Um, you wonder why that wasn't done at the beginning of the season. So things like that. Are there any teams or players that you're especially interested in seeing how free agency turns out for them? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's the core of Chicago you know, are they going to be able to keep them all together? Where will Candace Parker leave? Will she go back to LA? Will Will the Vanderquigs stick around? You know, what does Chicago even look like if if everyone leaves? Um, mm-hmm. That's a big, you know, conversation. I was curious of where Rihanna Jones might end up, but it sounds like she's going to get cored by the Sun, which means mm-hmm. they can hold on to her. Uh, it's kind of like a franchise tag in football. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Phoenix, you know, Phoenix is kind of in flux right now. And you, you kind of wonder what their roster is going to look like before the start of the season, especially now that Brittany Griner said she is going to play, which is going to be amazing when that first game takes place. But, mm-hmm. you know, what do you do? What do you do with DT who may be in her last season? And, and are they going to retain Skylar Diggins-Smith? Um, all of that. Just unanswered questions. You look forward to seeing how they're going to unfold. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's so many moves that could happen and there's injuries and there's trades, but do you have a vibe about whether we haven't talked about, you know, Las Vegas who happen to be the defending champs. Do you think that if, if the aces stay relatively stable, they have as good a chance going into next year as anyone else? Or do you think that I don't want to keep bringing up the Liberty and this hypothetical big three, but I'll put it this way. If the aces are a favorite, who are the other teams that you would consider their biggest challengers? Which is maybe hard to hard to say, given that. Yeah. Nothing is, you know. I don't even know if that's a fair question. I mean, hmm. obviously, New York becomes a contender with JJ and whatever additional moves they're gonna they're gonna make. Um, yeah. But it's almost like you got to see where the pieces fall 
to see to sort of get a, sen- a real sense of that. The thing that the, the Aces have going for them, they could not do anything and still be a championship. Yeah, contender. exactly. I think they, they have to figure out what they're going to do with Connor Williams, who actually came up big in a couple of games uh, last season in the finals, who I, who were, was a spark for them and helped, helped them really, you know, wrap everything up and get that championship trophy. And in, in, in a couple of games, she was huge. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, before making any types of guesses, educated guesses, because I would say Chicago, if they keep their core, right. still a contender. But do we know that that's going to happen? So you kind of have to wait and see. Kind of have to wait and see. Good call. Speaking of waiting and seeing, um, the NFL has the divisional playoff matchups this weekend. There are four games. Um of various interest to different people. Um, I suspect I know which game Lindsay is most interested in, so I'm going to save that one for last and open by asking um, just if you have any storyline or interest in any of the other games, starting with Dallas and San Francisco. My only interest in this game, well, there's a couple of things, but I love, I just think the Dallas bandwagon is such, it's so classically American to me. Like it's this really hyped, valuable property not for success in its industry has nothing to do with success it's just very valuable because rich people have done things to make it very valuable to them they have almost no success on the field they finally win a playoff game for the first time in forever against a terrible opponent but whatever a win is a win (laughs) and i feel like now the bandwagon has like tripled in velocity and tripled in volume and they're heading into san francisco for a team that's won like 11 in a row and is stacked at all these skill positions, I'm hoping for just Cowboy Mayhem. Is there anything that is going to draw you to, to want to watch this game? Well, I love I love watching football all year long. And, you know, whether it's – the obviously, I don't know if people know this, but I'm a huge Bills fan, born and raised in, in Buffalo. Um, I also follow the Chiefs. I've um, been a Chiefs fan since I was a teenager for – for, re- for a reason I won't get into now because it's kind of a, lo- a, lo- a little bit of a story. But I've written about it. You can look it up um, if you're right. curious. Uh, but because of being a Bills fan, I, my love for the Cowboys is is next to none. You know, I don't, I don't really enjoy the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys all that much. However, I do have a friend who is from Texas and loves the Cowboys. And, you know, I... I if they play the Bills, that's a different story, but I will root for them, you know, in her honor um, in some cases. So going into this playoff game, you know, if Dallas starts out the way they did in, against Tampa, I, I think San Francisco mm-hmm. is just going to run all over them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, San Fran's a different team and, and they're playing really well and have a great defense. Uh, yeah. So I think this game's going to play out a little differently. I don't think the Cowboys are going to make the Super Bowl. Um, that's just my my gut feeling. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll watch. I will definitely watch. Probably watch all the games. Okay. Uh, I I'm a New Yorker transplanted into Western New York, so I'm mostly interested in the Giants game. Um, I am interested. I'm always interested when a team plays a division opponent who beat them both times in the regular season because 
usually it's it's talked about how difficult it is to beat a team three times, but I also feel like if you're the team that's 0-2, there's probably a reason. Um, but I feel like there's also, in this game specifically, people say there's no pressure on the Giants. I don't believe that because I think the players care about what they're trying to accomplish. So there is at least that internal healthy pressure of we want to win, but there's certainly no external expectations on them, whereas the Eagles come in off a bye. You know, they're the best team in the league. Um, do you think the Giants have a chance to win this game? Um, I do. <laughs> that is I the correct think, answer. That's I don't absolutely think correct. <laughs> the Giants do anything special or have a lot of pizzazz or, you know, just they kind of just have like a, a mundane kind of approach week in, week out, week out. And I, and I think that comes from Brian Dayball because I know him. I've interviewed him before when he was with the Bills. I've talked yeah. to him. He's, he really is a good guy. And I, I'm super happy for Giants fans to have him as a head coach because I think he's going to be there for a while. And he's going to do some good things. And he just, he kind of, he kind of gets, you know, it goes from the top down. He gets the team feeling the same way that, you know, you just grind it out. You just do what you got to do. You come away with the wind and you work hard and you play hard and that's what's going to happen. And I think that kind of mentality can go a long way, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I can tell you as a, like I, I kind of rooted for the Jets and the Giants growing up. So if the Jets could adopt any of that mundane quality of the Giants, I would love it because the Jets <laughs> tend to be anything but mundane, but they also tend not to be in the second round of the playoffs. So, uh, Jacksonville, Kansas City. Is there any – this is the one game I feel like I really don't need to – like this game has 27 to 10 to me written all over it. Um, you've seen a lot of Kansas City, obviously. And Jacksonville does have that young team on the rise, you know, kind of energy going on. Give me a reason to watch this game. There, my brothers and I were just talking about this, like – is there an upset potential there? Could there be an upset potential there? I mean, you saw what the Jags did last week when they were essentially out of the game. And granted, the Chargers are not the Chiefs. Um, <laughs> Definitively. And, and the Chiefs just have, like, you know, their offense is just, it's like a just a, a machine, you know, it just rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And especially when it gets going, it just hums, it just hums along and just, picks up steam as the game goes on, but I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of get that energy, you know, playoff energy that, that the Jags could give them a fight. Pre-Kansas City, Andy Reid, like if you said Andy Reid team, number one seed, that's all I would need to hear to know, like there's an upset possibility. The Chiefs have been so good that I kind of like have, have forgiven them that quality. Um, but like you're saying, Jacksonville is, they do have that like, they have that energy. They have that, like, mm-hmm. we're just here to play football and have fun. Yeah. And if they go up, like, 10 nothing in the first half, that could get very, very interesting. Yeah, and the pressure's not on them, you know? That's the other thing. They're not They're not even supposed to be there. They're not supposed to be in this game. Like, they're really they should have not lost. Supposed to be there. Yeah, they're really not supposed to be in the game. So the pressure's really on Kansas City, and sometimes that can, you know, mm-hmm. work, work mm-hmm. against you. So the big game, I think, for most people. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's kind of what I feel. What happened with the the Bills in Miami last week? I know that they played each other close both games of the season, 
and they know each other very well. And so that plays a part, of course, into it. But it's almost as if the Bills just, all, if you look at the betting lines and what people were talking about leading up to this game, like the Bills were expected to just like blow them out. And clearly that's not what happened. And, you know, Miami was like, hey, no one expects us to be here. What do we have to lose? And it's almost like they played up a level and the Bills played down a level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the Bills and the Bengals, um, the Bengals have announced that um, they are now playing Sunday without two of their offensive linemen. They won't have the left tackle, Jonah Williams, or the right guard, Alex Kappa. This is in addition to losing um, their right tackle, Lyle Collins, in December. Joe Burrow has somewhat famously said that he never considers his team the underdog in any game, which is very sweet. Um, I would consider the Bengals a good matchup for the Bills if both teams are at full strength. Um and I still think, obviously, the Bengals are, in a one-shot game, the Bengals are dangerous. They have a great quarterback. They have some great skill position players. Um, they've had success as a unit. They're confident. Having said all that, their offensive line has been a problem. Um, and now they lose three linemen. Where is your anxiety level as a Bills fan heading into this matchup specifically? I mean, that's like a evergreen question. Where's your anxiety fan as a Bills fan? Or anxiety as a Bills fan? I mean, it's like sky high every every single game they play. I mean, my dad has this <laughs> saying, and he says it all the time after every game, especially if the Bills don't blow someone out and there's like a back and forth. He'll always text my brothers and I, they don't make it easy because they don't. Yeah. You know, nine times out of ten, you know, you're you're invested and you have to watch up until the end of the game. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's uh it's crucially it's excruciating to be a Bills fan sometimes. And it's been like this for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, my anxiety level will be high. I I I had the feeling that before the game was canceled because of what happened to Tamar Hamlin, um I did not have a good feeling about that game. No. Um, going into it with the yeah. injuries to the offensive line and our defensive line rotation and just how well they've been playing, that definitely works in our favor. So that mm-hmm. gives us an, an advantage for sure, but I'm still not a hundred percent confident playing it in, in um, Highmark, our home stadium is also an advantage, yeah. I think, um, which is, which is great to have that home field advantage. But again, not a hundred percent. I kind of think this could be a, just a back and forth kind of shootout thing. Mm -hmm. Like last year's AFC championship between the chiefs and the bills, where it kind of just comes down to the, to the last play. I don't want it to be, I would prefer it not be, but that's the feeling I'm, I'm getting. I can see that. Um, I can definitely see that with these two teams, especially because the Bengals have a, a compromised line, they might just go all out and try to be more of a quick strike type of offense. You mentioned Amar Hamlin. I want to ask you one last question, which has to sure. do with um, the Hamlin incident. So I don't have a way to articulate this, but something keeps throwing me that this enormous story happened, like this literal life or death, exceptional, enormous story broke. And it's like a couple weeks later and nothing really seems to have come out of it and i understand like it it literally was exceptional thank god this doesn't happen all the time there's a reason why it was such a big deal i can't say what i think should have happened 
But there's something unsettling to me when I sit and watch the games and they mention DeMar Hamlin, and I think to myself, like, yeah. And is there any sense to you that collectively as fans, as a league, as a sport culture, like, have we missed an opportunity here for something that should have already happened? Or is it just always going to feel weird because a, a person almost died and we watched it happen and that's weird? Like, how I've, do you, you know? I've wondered before. I've thought this before, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who watches football who thinks this. Like, seeing injuries, seeing those hard hits. And this is before <laughs> Hamlin. That someone's going to die on this football field at some mm-hmm. point, some point like it's almost feels inevitable and what does that mean and for what how would we even process that and yeah. going forward um so to see what happened to hamlin that was my initial thought like i thought back to my like holy cow is this is this what's happening is this happening and you know thank god he was okay but it's sort of being treated like okay, that happened. Like, I get what you're saying. It's being treated and it's like, okay, that happened, but okay, let's keep moving. Let's keep mm-hmm. rolling into the, the playoffs and and just keep business as usual. And, you know, is it, a, is it an anomaly? Like, will that never happen again with the, the increased rate of speed and physicality and size of the football players? It just keeps growing. It just keeps getting, you yeah. know, bigger and worse and more violent what is the end game what is you know these are these are questions i don't have the answer to but i definitely guarantee you're not the only one who's been thinking them yeah yeah i just keep thinking like like you're saying it's gonna happen and why is that gonna be different um as you think it has to be but a, a very strange discomforting story that continues to be strange and discomforting Lindsay D'Arcangelo, thank you so much for being on with us today. Do you have anything that you want to plug to our audience that they should look for from you either in writing or audio work or visual? Um, no, just uh, you know, keep up with me on Twitter, um, darkangel21, and I'm also on Instagram now. I've joined the world of Instagram. <laughs> just, were you, just were you for, concerned just with kicks. where Twitter was headed? And so yeah, I wasn't really it. sure. And, you know, I, I also kept getting tagged and posted on Instagram. Like my tweets would be tagged and posted by, by some media companies. And a friend of mine suggested oh, nice. just to get on there so they could actually tag me in it. And, you know, I could actually say, hi, this is me. I'm the one who wrote that tweet. And, which is great. It's nice uh, that people, you know, value my words and would feel the need yeah. to share them. Um, it's, it's pretty cool, but also, yeah, I'm out there all the time talking about women's sports right now. It's, it's, we're in the thick of women's college basketball season. And that's what I primarily write about right now for uh, just women's sports and the athletic. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you found your way to a social media site for positive reasons. That's unusual. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I wanted less social. I want less social media in my life. Um, I have, you know, I don't have it on my phone and I have some other things that I do to stay off. But, you know, there are some times when I'm required to talk about sports and respond to some things and it's mm-hmm. finding a balance. Yeah. Well, if you figure that out, let me know because I cannot find that balance <laughs> at all. Um, but Lindsay, um, thank you again so much for being here and we will keep an eye out for your written work and perhaps whatever book is coming out from you in the near future. and. Maybe we'll see um, 
Hail Mary on a 30 for 30 or a WH, the HBO special or something. Awesome. Um, yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care of yourself, Lindsay. Okay. All right. So that was the wonderful Lindsay Dark Angelo, who, as she said, you can follow her on Twitter. It is Dark Angel 21, but don't be thrown. That dark is with a C. D A R C A N G E L 21. You can find Lindsay there on Twitter. Um, before I depart from you, just a couple of <coughs> goodbyes I want to give out in the world of sports before I give my goodbyes to you. Uh, one is a retirement. And one is a retirement from life. Um, Retirement-wise, Maya Moore, uh, legendary WNBA star, has announced that she is retiring. Moore leaves the game with a pretty immaculate resume. Four WNBA titles, two Olympic gold medals, two national titles, one at UConn. Um, She was WNBA MVP, WNBA Finals MVP, and a three-time WNBA all-star game MVP. And yet for all of that, what she will probably be most remembered and revered for is greater than anything she did on the court. In 2019, in her prime, at the age of 29, uh, Moore left the WNBA seeking a greater purpose. She got involved in social justice work. A year and a half later, she helped get Jonathan Irons' wrongful conviction for a shooting overturned. Uh, her and Irons have since married. You're really not going to beat that. Like, Michael Jordan retired in his prime, depending on what story you believe, either because of gambling debts or to grieve his father's murder or because he just wanted to play baseball. Like, whatever the reason is. And whatever the reason is, good for Michael Jordan. If he needed to grieve, he go grieve. If he had a ton of gambling debt, <coughs> take a break from the environment that obviously was not helping you with that debt. Um, And if you just wanted to try your hands at baseball one last time in your life, good for you. Most of us at 28 are not athletically gifted enough or famous enough to just say, hey, baseball, I want to give it a try and get to the double-A level. But Maya Moore, to me, like, I'm not going to pretend that I followed her that closely in college. Like, I, I knew who she was in the WNBA. She's never been my favorite player. Um, probably because she wasn't on my team. But as an athlete, I don't have a Muhammad Ali in my generation. I don't have a person who stopped at their peak and took on a task that was significantly more important on a human level than anything they were doing athletically. And then they went out and they did it. Uh, Ali did that, obviously, getting... um, into it with the government, refusing to be drafted. He spent time, I'm pretty sure he spent time in a federal prison for that. Um, it interrupted the middle of his career. Maya Moore left. She sought something greater. She found it. I hope her and Jonathan Irons have a very happy life together. And I hope that Maya Moore sets an example that someone else at some point in the future picks up on. You can do greater things in your prime of life and making a movie, making more money, like whatever. There's greater things you can do. Also, moving on this week, and I wished I, I was hoping Jonah would be here for this one because I would have loved to have heard Jonah's thoughts about him. Chris Ford, 
uh, former Boston Celtic guard and coach, assistant and head coach, passed away. Um, Chris Ford is an unusually memorable Celtic, um, not because he was such a big deal as a player, but first of all, he's a historical trivia answer. Chris Ford made the first three-pointer in NBA history and was a good three-point shooter back then. Uh, when the three first came out in the league, Chris Ford took, I want to say, between one and a half and two a game, which was prolific. And he made a very good percentage of them. He was he was a great shooter. Um, he played on the 1981 champion Celtics, who defeated the Moses Malone Rockets. Uh, he was also an assistant on the great 84-86 teams. Um, his nickname was Doc. I don't know why, but it was. Um, Chris Ford was voted the Celtic team MVP his first year with the Celtics, which tells me that Larry Bird probably wasn't there yet, but still, that's a nice honor. Um, Ford, along with Bill Russell, Tommy Heinsohn, and Casey Jones, are the group of Celtic players who have earned rings as a player and also later as a coach. Um, so Chris Ford passes on. I remember him because when I first started watching the Knicks, he was this Celtic coach, but he looked like a New Yorker to me. He had like a you look at Google Chris Ford, look at his mustache, Google Chris Ford Celtics coach, and you'll see exactly what I mean. He did not look like a Boston guy to me. He looked like a New Yorker, um, which I mean is a compliment. So Chris Ford, rest in peace, brother. Um, that is it for this episode of the Jackman Sports Show. There will be, trust me, much more to go with next week. Um, we will have on next week on Tuesday, um, you will get the episode with Ian Levy, who is the, he works at Fansided. He basically runs um, all their WNBA content. Great writer and editor um, and very perspicacious. I don't think you need very. He's perspicacious about, everything NBA related. So uh, we'll talk to Ian about that on Tuesday. A couple other stories will come out too. But for now, uh, please remember you can follow our guest, Lindsay Darkangelo, at Darkangel21, D-A-R-C, Angel21. You can subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Jacobin Sports Show. It's so sad to me. I'm finally pronouncing it correctly and Jonah's not around to hear it anymore. Um, also remember to follow us on Twitter, at Jacobin Sports. If you have anything you would like to tell us on a personal level, jacobinsports at gmail.com. Thank you for being with us again in this episode. Thank you for listening through my congestion and bronchitis. And I will see you all again early to mid next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>